This is part three of a three-part podcast. Hi, my name is Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash paulwheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash paulwheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. I I agree with the thing that you're telling people, and I kind of feel like that when I'm when I go and I consult and I give advice to people on their land that they have all these dreams of different things that they want to do, and I kind of feel like, well, then don't bring me in, hmm. you know, because I'll you know, and and then they have they're happy with the path that they're on and they want to, you know, try some other things or do some other things. And I, and I kind of feel like for like peeing on the lawn is, or peeing on whatever is something that might possibly take away from their joy. And, and it's like, it's too much for them. It's kind of, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this thing I made up a long time ago called the wheat and scale. Um, but the idea is, is that uh, there's ten levels. So um, wherever you are on the on the eco scale, or wherever somebody is, like this other person, they might be at a level two. If I tell them about stuff at level five, they'll think that's crazy. Like that's way that's that's bad, crazy. That's awful stuff. But if I tell them about stuff that's one level ahead of them, they'll think that that's amazing and cool. But it's hard to tell what level they're at. So if somebody's listening to my podcast, I feel like I can say anything I want, and they're going to be okay with it. But if they've never listened to my podcast, it's like, this is just going to be a fresh experience for you. Now, I remember Seth Holzer told a story about uh, being paid obscenely to go to some rich guy's property, and Seth Holzer apparently just totally hates rich guys. Although he's got quite a few clientele that are, like, beyond rich, like, like you know, that that whole scale is like, there's not even a word for how rich that is. It's so far out there. Um, but he's got some guys that are rich that he hates, and it's like, uh, he feels like he can't talk to them. That, hmm. that, they, that they don't understand what he has, so then they hate him. They hate that. And, of course, there's the big, the big thing where there was a, a gal who had property and hated Seth and wrote a book about how much she hated him. And then uh, eventually Seth sued her and got all of her property. And now that's where he lives. Um, but the thing is, is that it's like giving people advice that they don't want to hear um, is painful. It's, it's awkward. And, uh, and I kind of feel like if the things you want to talk about are three levels ahead of where they are, that's, you're going to just appear to be really nuts to them. And uh, then they're going to be like, you know, get the hell off my land. And Paul, 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 wait a minute. I appear nuts to myself. <laughs> and I think about, okay, who was I 20 years ago? And what am I talking about? And what do I know is possible now? It's, 
Yes, I probably would have thought the younger me would think that the current me is pretty cool and also pretty freaking out there. Yeah. But when I talk with people, I'm I'm not necessarily, you know, when someone asks me to come take a look at their garden and tell me what, tell them what I think, I really just try to stick with what I know is true and with what I think that they can absorb um, and like what I think is going to give them a good value for the time and money that they're spending on me. So I really love being the the kind of wild garden auntie for people. I feel like that's my niche where I'm not, you know, and I, I don't do a bunch of stuff with moving earth around, you know, like I knew, know that you and Seth do amazing berms and ponds, etc. I'm a little, I am more of that kitchen garden scale uh, kind of person and I can tell people what I know in that realm and I tell them what I know is true and what I can see will actually help them. Whether or not they actually want to do it um, is entirely up to them, but I will you know, and different people are more open to my advice than others, and that totally makes sense. So people call me for a variety of reasons. And usually the people who call me, I can really help them out, and I do my best by them. And I try to give kind advice in a way that they can absorb, in a way that I do really, with all my integrity, feel will steer them towards where they want to go. Um but that is kind of tricky. And wow, if I if I had taken all the good advice that people <laughs> gave to me the first time they gave it, I would be way ahead, <laughs> way farther along than I am now. So uh, I don't have necessarily the expectation that people take it. I that people will take my advice. I just try to, you know, give them what I can and. And move along and, and give them things that will be, you know, like be really honest with them about what has worked for me and what hasn't. And so far, so good. At least no one's written a book about it, and that's just fine. <laughs> I, think, I think Seth's grown tired of talking to people where they, where they get there and it's like, okay, look, here's what we want to do. We're going to do a bunch of landscaping here, and then you're going to say it's like, a Seth Holzer thing. Mm-hmm. And, and Seth Holzer then whips out his hand and waves it and does the whole no, 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 no. And, and, uh, I think, I mean, Seth's, Seth's stuff is very advanced. It's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's ahead of all of us. And, and so it makes sense that if somebody's like a level two person and they're hiring Seth to come and consult, this is not going to be pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, Sep has been given free reign on a couple of so- on a couple of sites, and he has transformed them into a paradise. And so, uh, <clears throat> I think it's the, I don't know. You could have faith in Sep. So, like these people would need to have faith in you, but they're not all gonna. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if they're asking for your opinion, it's kind of like. Okay, here's my garden and here's my stuff. I want to get it to smell lo- more like Alexia Allen. And, and so it's like, how do I go about doing that? Now you mm-hmm. just said wild garden. Yeah. 
Do you think that your gardens end up looking wild? No, but I think I think that mm, <laughs> I wouldn't say that the gardens are wild, but I would say that there is an element and an appreciation of the wild in and around all the gardens, and as a foundation for what I appreciate and want to foster in my landscape. It's ultimately the wildness that I love, that I love in myself, and that I love in the place where I live. Like, our our native pollinators are incredible, and they increase in quantity and diversity every year, and that's not because of the gardens. Like, I understand my my cultivated gardens as little pockets that I'm, little bubbles that I'm carving out of the landscape and fussing around in to gain a particular outcome of, you know, X amount of potatoes or X amount of barley or X amount of dried beans. And what really is underpinning that and feeding all that is my brush piles and is the snags and is the nest boxes full of chickadees and the flicker nests and is the cooper's hawk swooping through and is the coyotes that come through our forest and, you know, check out where all the humans have been and is the cedar tree. Like, that is where I'm drawing most of my resilience from and that, that diversity and that fertility is coming from a wild place in me and in the gardens. And my background is in wilderness survival skills. I took, took my first, actually turned 18 at my first wilderness survival class back in 1996. And I've been passionate about those skills ever since then. And that is a big piece of what I love about the garden. Like the fact that I have spent time in backcountry places with just my clothes and no other tools, like, that makes my gardens seem incredibly luxurious. <laughs> you know, that right. makes, yeah. By your standards. Yeah. Now, the, the client has a different set of standards. But, the, yes. but maybe the client is thinking, like, I want to have some Alexia Allen standards, and I want to try them on for size and see if I like them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. But I feel pretty comfortable with things like, okay, here's what your soil sample says. I bet that you can buy an $8 bag of calcium carbonate chalk, and you can sprinkle at this amount on this patch of garden, and I bet you're going to see better results. Like, give it a try. It's 8 bucks And 10 minutes. Like, you can probably do that. So, you know, there's some of this basic stuff that just kind of makes sense to offer. And really, one of the things about consulting is that I often feel that I'm really repeating myself to person after person after person. And, like, a lot of this is common sense um, stuff that was not necessarily apparent to me and now is, and I can present it to people and people can take it or leave it. Um, But pretty much I'm happy to say the same things over and over. I'm sure Seth Holzer gets tired of saying the same things over and over. I'm sure you have had plenty of that experience as well. Um, but I guess it's still exciting for me, especially because I really love people. So I love 
hearing where they're at. And I'm just thinking now of all the people I've met through consulting and I'm picturing all their gardens and how good it feels to me for me to be supporting those people. So I guess that's an element that, that I really enjoy is I am very much a people person. I am a natural teacher. Like I can't not teach. <laughs> I um, hear yeah. that. And you're right. I say the same things over and over and over again, which is part of the reason why I try to post it out of Hermes and then I put it in the podcast and the videos and all the other things because I, I kind of hope that, you know, getting, and as I find out, it's like then I get people that are still asking me these exact same questions again, and um, and I find myself continuing to answer these questions. And um, I've had a couple of people where there would be there, a couple of instances where there would be somebody that would ask the question, and there's somebody else standing next to me, and the person standing next to me says, you know he's got a whole chapter about that in this book, right? Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, I feel like I couldn't really say that. I mean, people... There's so many people where it's like, I'll make a video of you harvesting a chicken, and then somebody will be asking, like, well, how do I, uh, you know, I was like, well, I got a video about that. At, 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 you know, well, I don't, I don't watch videos. I'm more of a book reading person, or I'm more of a podcast person, or I'm more of a something else. And so it's, it's kind of like, uh, everybody's like, oh, I want this knowledge, but I want it to be fed to me the way that I like to be fed, which I think works. In 2020, because that's there's so much out there now. But the thing is, how do you how do you tell what's good from what's crap? And uh, and then when you present something good, then people are like, "What's the big deal?" You know, it's like that's like nothing. It's you know, there's, that's easy to say. It's like oh, it's available in a lot of different places. And it's like it's not so much that. It's like having to sift through it. I guess. All right. Right. You are far more of a people person than I am. Maybe. I am a flavor of people person, I suppose. But <laughs> for the certain kinds of people, maybe. Uh, whereas you're going to be more of a general, like, 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 a larger audience is going to appreciate you than, than me. Um, well, you flatter me, Paul. I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I think a, Gentle listener, <laughs> maybe. And like I said, I I do find myself caring deeply for the people I can help and um, having a good time. And I think we we fill complementary niches. Now, a moment ago, you used the phrase common sense, mm-hmm. and and I I want to. Uh, say a couple of things. One is, is that I think what you were saying is now it seems like common sense, whereas when you were 20, you did not know this thing. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it was not common. I, I guess it's a, I, I'm going to say a pet peeve. I don't think there's any such thing as common sense. I think that a lot of people will say common sense, like that person over there doesn't have any common sense. And what they're really saying is, that person over there does not know the things that I know. And right. I, and and so whoever is, like, the point, pointing, that person over there doesn't have common sense. The person doing the pointing is kind of insisting, in a way, 
that all other people need to know the things that the person with the finger knows, um, you know, or else they'll point at you and say you don't have common sense, and by common sense I mean the things that I know. Is that right? Totally makes sense. And when I said the phrase, I had a little cringe, like, yeah, you know, common sense isn't so common. Yes, I, I know all these things. I think it comes back to what I mentioned about us insisting on observation time in, in the outdoors for everybody on the farm because, uh, I think what I mean by common sense is, like you just mentioned, having a common frame of reference about this is the direction that the wind tends to come from here. Rain falls from the sky to the ground, and it tends to puddle up over there. Like, the coyotes came and pooped over there last night. Like, that kind of calib- that body-based calibrating to reality feels really important to me. And I've known people from many different traditions and politics and et cetera, et cetera, who had that languages all over the world, people who had a similar, like I could feel a certain resonance in them about, you know, oh, yes, you eat that kind of plant. Maybe what I mean to say is that there's some commonality around subsistence life. Like, I I eat plants. I eat the world around me, and I live because of the plants and animals and people around me. Um, and there's a feeling of unity there that I really love and enjoy. And, I mean, when I was in my 20s, I did not recognize a garlic plant, you know. And now I grow multiple varieties of garlic plant, and it's I do have to remember, especially with people coming in, that not everybody knows this, myself included. And who only knows where I'll look back in 20 years and say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that I ever thought X, Y, or Z, when now it's so obvious that W is actually the answer. Um, So, yeah, you're right. It's not a very apt phrase. But I do think that there is something about a body-centered or a kinesthetic approach. Like when you talk about all the different ways that people get information, whether it's on podcasts and whether it's out of books or whether it's from walking around with somebody, I think what really is the most important way is the way people's individual bodies relate to the landscape that they are intending to manage or eat from. Um, that's really what it comes down to. That is that transcends words, and that relationship is what I'm actually trying to point people to, even with my paltry words around it. You have an animal presence that you need to embrace if you want to step into a solid and loving relationship with your landscape. And maybe that's not for everybody. I can say that it is where I'm putting my time and energy, and not just in my words, but in my time and devotion to this place. And I love my land. I just feel my heart expanding 
as I tell you that again and again. I know I've been saying it throughout this whole podcast here, Paul, but I love my landscape. And not only that, but I have a deep and sensed feeling that my landscape loves and knows me. And I'll totally admit that I could be making it all up, but whether or not I'm making it all up, it makes me happy. <laughs> so I'm well, me, going with it. Here's here's a weird question, which actually has a lot of roots in, in you know, the, the whole three acres, ten miles away thing. Mm-hmm. When you would go there, did you ever, even once, have the sensation that you are uh, being... Uh, Unfaithful to Hawthorne Un- Farm? Yes, that's yes. exactly it. Totally, because yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm cheating on my farm. Like, <laughs> and it also happens when I look at ranches for sale on the internet, I'm like, this feels like farm porn for me. <laughs> wow. I'm, you know, I have this perfectly beautiful, loving farm right here at home, and yet I'm fantasizing about these 72 acres along a river in Montana. <laughs> so, yeah, like, it is a strong relationship, and I feel like I'm bungee-corded to this land, you know, like, it's right. weird to be away. I'm like, boing, you know, I just kind of snap back. Um, I I love being at home and being here and eating food. Eating food from other places is starting to feel a little weird, you know. Um, like, huh, wow. There's something about it, and it feels like a feedback loop where what my body needs is what I amend the soil with, and then that feeds me, and there, it does feel like a feedback loop where the land gets more and more tailored to me, I guess, or, you know, whoever is, is tending it. Because I also realize that at some point I am going to leave this land, you know, whether it's I walk away or whether it's I leave in a box. Um, so I know it won't last forever, and that just makes it all the sweeter to be in this relationship with it, which is not a relationship that I really consciously knew was even possible. Because after eating from this landscape so intensely for so many years, there is a real cellular charge for me, or I can feel something beyond an intellectual level of my belonging to a place. And uh, that's beautiful. It's tragic, like realizing how often throughout history that connection has been severed. Um, and... I'm just amazed and grateful that I get to live it out even in some small way here in suburban suburban Washington State and hopefully encourage it to flourish and clear, encourage that relationship to flourish between people and their places, wherever that may be. So that's what inspires me. And, um, yeah, I guess that's, that's about it. I want to go back to the person that is like I wanna I wanna raise more of my own food by myself on my acres here. And now I wanna say I wanna throw a whammy in there. Like, okay, Alexia, I'm gonna I'm gonna live a more Alexia life. I'm going to try to do community like you do community. So I've mm-hmm. got my land, I'm gonna try and do this thing here and I'm going to bring people in. 
Um, uh, all right, and, and I'm going to pretend that the infrastructure for more people is already there. <clears throat> what is your advice to this person on how to start community? Oh, boy. Yeah. I know, right? I just thought of this. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Answer that. Ready? Go. <laughs> there are two different prongs in that approach, and one is related to the individual person. So, you know, I'm thinking of myself standing on this person's land and what I would say to them. And then I'm also thinking of what would be the general advice to give anybody asking that question? Because I have sat here in my house alone years ago and shed tears that nobody was visiting. I was like, where's my community? I'm supposed to have community. I'm supposed to have people showing up to help me, and why aren't they? Um, and got to give her the, the advice. Because she's worried about the drama. And there will be drama. Advice. You're going to give her advice on how to minimize the drama. One is to be to maintain one's own integrity building and connection building practices. I don't care whether that's yoga, whether that's saying the rosary every day, whether that's going to your sit spot in the forest every day, like, there has to be something where an individual can maintain their connection to themselves and have some time to sit with whatever that might be. That's just the bottom line for a community. To be in good relationship with other people, my experience is that I need to deal with my own crap, literally and figuratively. Uh, <laughs> and um, to take that time. And that's just across the board for everybody. And I've seen it over and over again in workshop after workshop and community after community and household after household that I have held here. When people have those connection practices for themselves, everything, we all get along with so much better. Elders are a huge help. Why do you think I miss my farm grandma so much? Having somebody who can, who's kind of, you know, been through a greater slice of human experience and can say, oh, yes, you know, yes, you're afraid. Like, oh, yes, you know, that, that's, that's painful. Like, you will survive. Someone who can reflect in that, in a non-judgmental way. And also a kind of, you know, set us straight when we need to way. Having a wise elder around. Uh, is, has been invaluable for us. So I'd say track down a wise elder, whether that's, you know, distance or in person. And I would say have tools for communication that work. Like we use a pretty basic council type of process that Daniel and I have both, you know, worked on over the years. And we just, I know every, I know people cringe, but we do have a family meeting every week, and it's usually an hour or so, and it's not always just about logistics and just about the undone dishes. Um, it's a time to interact in a different way together, and some of the, you know, we play games, 
where we do something together that's not just passing each other in the kitchen or, you know, trying to get hot water first for your beverage in the morning. Like, there's some other time set aside for that community piece. And another important piece is in giving where we can. Like, we give each other time. We give green beans to the neighbors. Like, what can we share with people? And how can we genuinely appreciate the people around us? We have a pretty strong muscle here of being grateful. Like, and we just build that. Like, before every meal, everybody says something they're grateful for. And it can seem, like, certainly, if I looked at that from when I was a young, a younger person, in my teens or 20s or as a kid, I would have thought that was super hokey. And now I see that it's it's a tool. It's an important technology, at least in how this household gets together, um, in terms of the practice, like noticing all there is to be grateful for in life. And wow, the raspberries have fed us yet again. And oh my gosh, there's a whole bunch of rabbit meat in the freezer that wasn't there earlier today, and those rabbits just gave their lives for us to eat them. And that's freaking amazing because that's going to keep us alive. So we really do take the time to be grateful for what's around us, and that just extends to being grateful for each other, even when it's tough. We know that we're all human. We know that we're going to make mistakes and get upset with each other. And being able to work through that, even if that means, like, hey, this farm is not a good fit, or like, yeah, probably in another month or two we're going to be looking at finding somebody else to live here. You know, it can look a lot of different ways, but still maintaining a kind heart throughout the process has been the most important thing to me. And having a really high bar for our own integrity and communication. Sorry, that was a lot right there. Like, like people have written a whole book, you know, like, it can go on and on, but those are a few of the general things that have helped us as this household has grown and changed over the years. And it has grown and changed a lot. And I'm so grateful <laughs> for all the changes and for all the gifts that every person who's come here has brought. It's all been valuable. You know, whether that's huge contributions in like work getting done, huge lessons, huge ways for us to be clearer about our boundaries it's all been helpful i made three notes Mm -hmm. uh, during that uh the first one's quick you talk about the farm grandma again would you say that there is a certain magic that your the farm grandma that you uh that was there at your place for three years and what you generally imagine like boy everybody should have a farm grandma that the magic ingredient that they bring to the table is that there's something that they do that makes a house into a home. Oh, that's like greeting card material there, Paul. <laughs> Maybe a bumper sticker or something. I don't know. <laughs> Send it out on Twitter. But it's there's something there's some sort of magical ingredient. They have a superpower to make a house into a home. And, th- and it's not that there's a thing that they do. It's like... It's it's like hundreds of little things that they do constantly, and then as after three weeks have passed of their being there, the environment is more of a home, 
And, yeah. and, it's, like, and while it was a home before, the stuff from three weeks ago, it's like that was just a house that we happened to live in. Now it's more of a home. Now the dish towels are clean. Yeah. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> that means that there is the before. What the hell is going on with that before picture? Oh, gosh, I'm not much of a housekeeper, I have to confess. But I do aspire to being a farm grandma. And really, I've, I'm, I've known a number of elders in my life who have stupendous capabilities and are also exquisitely humble. Uh, gosh, one man I knew, he's, he's died, died a few years ago, but he said, yeah, an elder is someone for whom no job is too small. Like, this drain needs cleaning, so I'll clean it. Like, you just see what needs doing, and you do it. And as our farm grandma says, she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I was a householder for 40-plus years. Like, I have vacuumed refrigerator coils, and I know that it needs doing. And I just see what needs doing. And I do it. Whereas a lot of people in their, say, early 20s, myself included, were just fairly clueless, didn't have the education about how to tend a place and what that takes and the day-in, day-out attention that it takes. So, yeah, farm farm grandmas worth their weight in gold. I aspire to be a farm grandma. Um, I think I'm headed that direction, which is... A really satisfying feeling. So, with the with the younger you and the younger people that you were just mentioning, then there's an element of um, uh, unlike the farm grandma, they're like, "Look, I'll do it. You just got to tell me that you want it done." Mm-hmm. And then so you tell them you want it done. That's like, okay, now I'm glad to do it, but just you just got to give me some idea of how to do it. Okay, just real quick. You know, how to do it. Then you tell them how to do it. And it's like, why would you do it that way? I now need to have a three-hour conversation about this two-minute task. You know, and it's kind of like that. Have you been listening in, Paul? Have you been listening in to my conversation? We have community here also. (laughs) (laughs) And I think a lot from a lot of the stuff you're talking about, I'm kind of thinking, like, it isn't so much about what you, Alexia, know. It's it's about how somebody can come there and they can they can easily get things done and have strong forward velocity with minimal guidance from you. That's that's a big component of community. And and it's like as opposed to they need to hear from you that it needs to be done, then how to do it, and then they need to have turn that into a three hour long educational experience for them and they're going to use Cunningham's law to say, well, it won't work that way. And then so that is your prompt to say, here's how it works that way. Uh, mm-hmm. What an awkward conversation to have because now I'm kind of pointing out how you're a lying sack of shit, uh, which I don't want to really do. So it's like, uh, but here's how he did it. So it's, it's an awkward because a lot of people that are today, the communication styles of people today are so very different from when I was young. <clears throat> uh, I mean, it, it does seem like a lot more, like, uh, I keep coming back to Cunningham's Law. It's better, rather than ask a question, it's better to state something that you know is not true. You'll get a better 
education, better response. You'll get, a, you'll get more information that way. Mm. And, yeah, you'll irritate people and you'll annoy them, but who cares? Mm. Kind of, I don't know, this is, I find this to be true. Perhaps you don't find it true. Well, I do a lot of cost-benefit analysis in what, in the information that I'm sharing with people, especially around things like, well, how long are you going to be here? And do you, do you need to know how to sanitize the milk filters if you're not going to be here more than the two-month period that it takes to sanitize another batch of milk filters? Um, or milking the goats. Everybody wants to come learn how to milk the goats. I'm like, it's going to be two weeks of misery for you and the goats. So unless you're going to be here for multiple years, you're just not going to learn how to milk the goats. Um, you can watch me milk the goats. Like, you can croon sweet tunes to the goats, and you can feed them and hang out with them. But you just keep your hands off of their udders because they're not going to like it. Um, so, yes, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not totally interested. I can't say I'm uninterested in having just a bunch of minions, like, you're right, filtering all that information and disseminating all the information, the gazillion and one details, is pretty exhausting. Daniel and I have gotten a lot better at labeling stuff. <laughs> yes! Yes! So we call, it, we call it the pig bucket problem. And I made a podcast about it like five years ago. I wrote a big essay. And, and it's a long story. It's an amazing story. But in the end, we realized we need to label things. We need a, we need 20 times more labels on things. In some places, they need the instructions right there. But then, and that's just half of it. The other half is, is that we need more people that have been here for two years or longer. Which, by the way, now you just said your grandma was there for, not your grandma, but your farm grandma. The, the farm grandma that you happened upon who then lived there for three years. What, uh, uh, that's a, that's a big milestone, I believe, in community. If, mm. if you have community people that have been there longer than two years, like significantly longer than two years, that is a strong indicator that it is a good, healthy community. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, I used to only have the patience for people for about one year, and I view it as, you know, really, I have had to grow as a community holder in order for people to be, you know, able to stay here for multiple years. And we we treasure the people who have been here for for multiple years. I mean, we, we even if people who have left the farm, usually because they fall in love with somebody, <laughs> and they move away. Like it's it's probably the best possible reason, but we certainly miss them. You know, we are in close contact with the people who have been here for multiple years, and you know, still in touch and supporting their efforts. And they bring goat food here when they're cutting blackberries at their friend's house and, you know, just lots of good cross-pollination with the folks who have stuck around. And it's it's a variety of folks. And we really appreciate that extended family kind of feeling. I've I've developed a new policy of, like, if, if a Canadian comes here, they're forbidden to fall in love with anybody. Because... <laughs> <laughs> 
because we've lost more people to, be, to falling in love with Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> They're so polite. And so yeah. it's, it's like, because the Canadian has to go back to Canada. The mm-hmm. Canadian cannot stay here. The government won't allow it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, point, they go back. And then if you're in love with a Canadian, well, I guess you're going to Canada now. Oh, yeah. We had an Italian fall in love with a Canadian, but they both moved to Italy and have their own amazing farm and garden thing going on there. So, you know, in this amazing village up in the Alps. So I can't begrudge them that. But, uh, yeah. I have two more notes um, Mm -hmm. from when you were talking earlier. That is, uh, you were talking about the things you mentioned one could classify in the realm of uh, meditation or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. like you're going to you're going to do a thing every day that's going to help to get the individual to sort through their individual things, so that way they'll get along with all the people better. And that's mm-hmm. powerful. You're saying that's a powerful ingredient in building community while turning the grabbing hold of that knob that says drama and turning it from a nine down to a one. That's mm-hmm. part of it. Yeah. And, and so I wanted to insert a little thing about there is, in Italy, there's a huge community uh, called Dominur. And uh, they require, and they're an artist community. So talk about that knob going up to an 11. It might go up mm. to 27 or so. Mm. And, and it's like, but no, they're, they're a growing, vibrant, strong community with artists. And it's kind of like, that's just not possible. And part of what they do is they require four hours of meditation for every person that lives there. Now, I'm not a meditation person. I did attend several things that uh, uh, Dominher was involved in. I I attended because I was involved in helping to put the events on. So we got these Dominher people that are coming and they're, it was in the Seattle area. I was uh, uh, worked on a. I was on a board uh, for a community incubator, and so we brought in these people from Dublin, and they they did uh, you know they included meditation and all their stuff. And I I tried to do it. I was bored. <laughs> Not my thing. Um, and we don't we don't have anything like what you're suggesting here. But I kind of feel like we're doing very well here without that. And, Mm-hmm. I do know that some of the people here do things like that. And so there is that element here, but it was not because it's required. They just groove on it. Mm-hmm. So I want to say, I think there may be a big thing to what you're saying there that I have never before really thought about. I know that Dominor requires it, and I always felt like, well, then I guess I can't go to Dominor because I, I would be bored for four hours a day. I, I can't. I don't think I can do that. I don't. I think that's a bit much for me. Like my mind isn't wired in that way. Mm-hmm. But it's fascinating that you require it, and and people groove on it, and and on top of that, you believe that it is being a major contributor to things working. That is that is fascinating. Yeah, that's and as you pointed out, it happens in a variety of settings you know, spontaneously or overtly or just because it's what people happen to be doing. Um, We 
have realized that we need to be overt about it and just have it as an expectation, like the community you mentioned, where it's just, okay, if you go there, you know that this is what you're going to be doing. So, yeah, it really helps. And for people learning permaculture or wanting to garden more or just wanting to feel more connected to the world around them, I'm like, hey, just set your timer for 20 minutes and just sit outside, and it's okay if you're bored. You're, you're not bored because there's nothing to see. Now, so, I, I know that there's a yeah. – <laughs> I, I remember when I took my PDC, and we do this with our PDCs here now too, and um, we were all sent out with a pad of paper and a pen, mm-hmm. and we all had to sit as far away from each other as we could, and you are to document everything that you see um, for half an hour. And um, part of it is is like pretend it's going to go into a journal – and then that way you're going to know, like, what's blooming when and what insects are out at what time of year and what's their behavior like if you can observe them and things of that nature. Document everything. And I got to say, it was a powerful moment, although I wasn't bored because I filled two pages with notes mm-hmm. from one spot. You know, you supposed to sit, mm-hmm. not move. You sit in the exact spot, and I, I, I documented so much stuff. But um, at the same time, it was a very bonding with nature kind of thing, like a very, like a, to a level that's a, that's hard to describe. Um, yeah, and then just do it every day for about seventeen years. <laughs> like I've been going out to my yard spot um, every day that I've woken up on my land. I go out and I sit. And I say, hey, what's what's shaking today? Like, how, how can I help you today, forest? How can I help you today, garden? What, what can I notice? Like, I know that the information coming to me is limited only by my perception <laughs> of it. So, yeah. It's worth doing. Thanks for thanks for pointing that out and noting what's what's shaking there in your community in terms of people having whatever practices serve. My last note has to do with community meetings, and you mentioned that it could go into playing games and things like that. And we have a similar sort of a thing. We call it Taco Tuesday, and hmm. um, every Tuesday night we ha- uh, have um, you know tacos like things um and uh and then once everybody is sat down then we say all right community business and then uh about one time out of three i wait about five seconds there's nothing and it's like okay so concludes community business (laughs) that was it and then uh uh there's food and there's but uh, but also what seems to happen is is that Another one out of three times, like I say, okay, so concludes community business. And then Fred says, well, I've got a thing. Well, why didn't you say something five seconds ago? Mm-hmm. Like, no, this is the way it is. Yeah, you know. mm-hmm. So, but anyway, I would say that uh, one night out of three, community business is five seconds long. And then we get on with our life. And then uh, the rest of the time, I think it's well under ten minutes. But. There's stuff that's brought up, but it's like, oh, that's why that's that way. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or you bring something up, and it's like, that's, oh, 
that's why they took that. Okay, great. All right. Mm-hmm. Now I know. But, I mean, it's also a good time to talk about any kind of community business. Though. Mm-hmm. So, but ours is, because I hear about these consensus-based communities, and they have, like, five hours of meetings every week, or they have a they have a weekly meeting on this topic or on the main topics, and it'll oftentimes go past midnight, and they'll be staying up crazy late trying to sort through stuff. And it just sounds like I, when I talk to people about why are you leaving this community, then it's usually it's like I'm just sick to death of all the meetings. I, I can't do another meeting. I'm, yeah, I uh, I think the only way to survive is to be a very dedicated and skillful knitter. <laughs> I I can see that being a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one for for our house meetings, you know, which we do have a time limit on. It's like we just the, the expectation is that we're all engaged and enlivened by it, and if we're not, we all have permission to change it or you know shake it up for whatever would actually serve. And that is one of the tools that helps keep that drama factor dialed way down is that we at least are making time every week for whatever is up for people in their lives. And usually it is nothing, but it's just one of those community maintenance tools that helps us. And every community in place is going to figure that out in their own way, in a way that works for them. sounds like Taco Tuesday is the vehicle for you and your peeps there. So, awesome. Like, it can look a lot of different ways, but finding some way to have that listening time where everybody has an opportunity to be heard feels really important to me, and um, I think it's, yeah, part of part of what we've implemented here, and so far, so good. All right. I feel like we're closing in on the end of this podcast, but um, do you have anything else that you would like to talk about? Oh, my gosh, this has been such a wonderful tour through our thoughts. It's been really fun to kind of talk shop with you here, Paul, and uh, just cheering you on for your permaculture empire in its in its many forms. And just appreciate all the learning that you make available to people. I know it helps me. Um, there's a lot of great information out there. And I appreciate your approach. It's been really fun. Thank you for all your questions, too. And um, I hope this serves. I really don't feel terribly coherent about it all. I'm not claiming to have any amazing answers for anybody. (laughs) Sometimes not even myself. But I really appreciate you having me on and, and taking the time. And I hope that anything that's happened here today can serve somebody somewhere sometime. And I guess in that, there's one last thing I wanted to say, which is that I do try to take the long-haul approach to what we're doing here, which means that we don't have to go have meetings until midnight because there is tomorrow and there is next year. And I can there's the trees that I've planted are going to come into their fullest bearing after I'm dead. And... So planning for that long haul so that I can be more relaxed and happy now uh, feels really important. So that would be one last tidbit I would put in there. Think of the long haul. It doesn't all have to happen now. We're all part of a great, big, long, unfolding story. Or at least we might as well look at it this that way. So that's my two cents. And really glad that you would 
have me on this podcast today. I kind of, along the lines of some of the things you just said, I, I kind of think that the way that I see it is, is that it's better to to try to stumble into better than to try to architect perfection. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well said. I, I I know. I feel I feel like our motto for everything that we do all day long, both with Hermes.com and everything we're doing here at my place. Um, it's make the best of it. That's that's the theme all day, every day. And, uh, you know, it's like, oops, oops, oops. And it's like, yeah, well, make the best of it. You know, it's, there's going to be boo-boos. Um, there's going to be setbacks. But I kind of feel like in the end, um, uh, it's, it is a good five step forwards wherever you step back. And so there's going to be that step back mm-hmm. and uh, make the best of it. Hmm. I'm sure you're doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. I'm like, yes, stumbling towards better is uh, would would sum it up pretty well. <laughs> right. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that are like so focused on perfection and architecting perfection that they are not really doing anything, even though they have everything in front of them. Mm-hmm. And and it's like, and at the same time, they they kind of want to challenge others. Like, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you do anything? I want you to do all these things. And it's kind of like, well, you're not even doing these things. Don't mention that. You're the one mm-hmm. that I'm talking about right now. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I I, I just uh, I, and and thank you for such beautiful kind words. Um, and and uh, of course. I, I, again, I, I still believe, like I said at the beginning, like, I, I don't know why you want to ask me for my advice. I think what you're doing is amazing. And so, um, I, in fact, I, I, there have been a few times I've tried to get you to come out here to see what we're doing and be an instructor for an event and things like mm-hmm. that. I'm going to have to try harder. <laughs> yeah, I'm such a barnacle. <laughs> yeah, you're very you're you're very married to where you are. Mm-hmm. But I've come and looked at your place a, a couple of times. Of course, at the time, I didn't have land, and so it was mm-hmm. a little easier. Um, but but now um, now I have land, and and yes, I I get it. It's it's mm-hmm. difficult. It's difficult to get away when when you've got such a deep relationship with. Your land, and and now I'm I'm hard pressed to to leave this pup. Um, yeah, I've got to wait until the goats are dry, <laughs> then I can travel again. So yeah, like people talk about traveling to someplace like Italy, and it's kind of mm-hmm. like, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's stuff here I haven't seen yet. Oh my gosh, whole other conversations, but <laughs> maybe I, I'm just itching to get out into my garden and do something. So. Maybe we'll wrap it up here and uh, let's wrap it up. We're we're gonna call it good. Another time. So, if you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at Hermes.com, where we talk about community resilience, (laughs) (laughs) homesteading, and permaculture all the time. Don't forget, go out to Patreon.com/slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.